Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. everyone, I'm Devin Wilkins, President and Founder of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance, and I am very happy that you're able to join me for another edition of Canadians in Old Time Radio. From our Made in Canada file this week, we have an episode of The Queen's Men from 1954. The title is Manslaughter a.k.a. Hit and Run. I solemnly swear that I will faithfully, diligently, and impartially execute and perform the duties required of me as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and will well and truly obey and perform all lawful orders and instructions which I shall receive as such, without fear, favor, or affection, of or towards any person. So help me God. The Queen's Men for the first time, authentic stories of the world-famous Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Tales of men who for almost a hundred years have helped to keep peace in Canada. The Queen's Men. Queen's Men, true stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Names have been changed for family protection. And now transcribe The Queen's Men. Case Inspector, manslaughter, wasn't it? Yes, originally hit-and-run charge. Why was the charge changed? Let's see. As I remember it, it was a nasty business. Man and woman walking along Highway Number 3 in Nova Scotia about three or four years ago. Happened so fast, the woman could give no description at all of the vehicle, and the man was dead. Were you on the case, Inspector? Yeah. It sticks in my mind uh, because there was so little to go on. At first, that is. Right after the accident... Thank you. 
Wait, now, stand back, everyone. Well back. Edwards, get your men to keep those people yes, back. Yes, sir. Men, over here. Come on. Peterson says he's dead, all right, Sergeant. Oh, Peterson and his pre-med corps. Certainly he's dead. I knew that. Did you find anything else yet? Oh, no skid marks, unfortunately. He mustn't have even slowed down. Nothing except a few smithereens of glass. Mirror, it looks like. Well, gather them up carefully. How's the woman? Oh, she's incoherent. In a real state of shock. You think she was hit at all? No, I don't think so. Wish that ambulance would get here. As soon as it does, we'll get these spectators on their way and do some scouting around. Amazing the fascination an accident has for people. Excuse me, could I get through, please? Who is that? Doctor, perhaps? Officer. Oh, officer, can I have a word with you? What about? What's your business? I'm. My name is Brown. I'm just... Would you let me through, please? All right, let this man through, will you? Come on, come on. Have you something to do with this accident? No, I, I didn't know anything about it till I just pulled up now. Are you the officer in charge? I'm Sergeant Maynard of the RCMP. Those men over there are provincial police. Now, what is it you have to say? Well, my name is Brown. I'm a salesman, you see, but traveling on the road all the time, I get to notice things as I drive along. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I'm a lady's glove. Look, what's that got to do with what I'm doing right now? I... Well, as I was going to say, a few miles back, I passed a big dump truck parked by the road without lights. A dark night tonight. I almost hit it before I saw it. Well, I kind of thought to myself, this constitutes a hazard to move. Yeah, back. you're right, it does. So what? Well, I, I didn't stop or anything, but as I went by, I happened to take a look at the name of the truck, Barrington Transport, it said in big white letters. Barrington Transport? You know anything about that outfit, Jacket? Uh, it's Trans-Canada Transport, I think. They usually have a few trucks operating here in the Maritimes. So when I saw you officers here, I thought maybe you should know about this guy before he causes an accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for your information. Uh, what kind of an accident is it? Oh, it looks like hit and run. Say, maybe... Uh, may we take your full name and address, Mr. Brown, in case we should want to ask you any further questions? Why, well, sure thing, officer. Delighted. Uh, anything at all I can do. Look, what direction were you traveling, north or south? I was coming south. I see. How far would you say this truck was from here? Oh, uh, about three miles, I'd say. Right. Please go and speak to that officer over there. That's Constable Edwards, and he'll write down the particulars. Sure, I'll do that. Good luck on this case, man. Yeah, cheery fellas, these salesmen. Even in the face of death. He was traveling south, and the hit-and-run driver was going north. So it's barely possible the man might have driven on about five miles and then stopped. You know, he'd be pretty shaken up. No one commits this sort of crime on purpose. You think there's a chance, then, that there's the There's always a chance, Jacket. If all we have is some broken glass, we'd better look into this. Uh-oh, here comes the ambulance. Good. Edwards! Yes, sir? Come here a minute, will you? I was just talking to that fellow Brown. Yeah. I think we'll look into it. Did the woman, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mrs. Malley. Was Mrs. Malley able to say what sort of vehicle it was, truck or car? No, or... unfortunately, she was so stunned she had no idea at all. Ah, oh, pity that. Well, you take care of the ambulance, get these people cleared out, and continue your on-the-spot investigation. Okay, Sergeant. Jagath and I are going on down the highway and see if we can locate that truck. Come along, Jagath. What's the speedometer say, Sergeant? How far have we come? Well, let's have a look. Four and five-eighths. Ah, we should have passed the location of the truck then. We'd be pretty lucky if he was still sitting there. Probably just stopped for a few minutes to collect himself. What goes on in the mind of a driver like that, do you suppose, Sergeant? At the time of the accident? Yeah. He panics, certainly, but does it occur to him to stop? Does he envision the consequences if he doesn't? Does he hesitate? Ah, darned if I know. You spend too much time looking for reasons, Jacket. It's our job to catch up with offenders, not dissect them. Well, sometimes, though, it makes it easier to figure out what a man's going to do if you have some idea how his mind operates. What's that up ahead? Those flares? Roadblock, I guess. 
I expect the commissioner set up immediate roadblocks when the report came in. Well, no truck. Well, now, as there's a roadblock here, we've narrowed him down anyway. Let's see if he's got through. It's Sergeant Robson. Robson? That you, Sergeant Maynard? Oh, and Jacket. What's happening up the road? Oh, quite a crowd. Ambulance just turned up. This highway practically deserted this time of night. But as soon as there's an accident, the people appear in droves. Yeah. Tell me, Sergeant, you let a truck through here. Truck? No. Half a dozen cars, that's all. Giving them a good going over, but no truck. Hmm. Then if he didn't pass you and he's not anywhere in this five-mile stretch of highway, he must have turned down some side road or into a lane. Oh, that's a strange thing for a trans-country transport to do, Sergeant. They stick to the highway. That's right. No reason to turn off on this stretch of highway particularly. Well, thanks, Sergeant. We'd better get back down the road, then report to headquarters. Here are the fragments of glass picked up at the scene of the accident, Inspector. Mirror, eh? Yes, sir. On examination of the spot in daylight, first thing this morning, more glass was found. Any other clues lying about? No, sir. Nothing but the glass. Now, the coroner states that from the nature of the injuries sustained by the deceased, this James Halliday, it seems probable that his head was struck by some part of the vehicle. Mm. This all seems to point to the possibility of a projecting rear vision mirror. Yes. Yes, it does. It was something to look for on the vehicle. Mm. Well, broken rear vision mirror can be replaced. Yes, of course, sir. I've assigned a detail to check all service stations and garages for that eventuality. And uh, what about this Barrington transport? Well, Constable Jacketh began an investigation early this morning to obtain information about which of their trucks are working in the district. He had an interview plan with the local representative of the company to check the authorized movement of the line's vehicle. What do you think, Sergeant? Think there's much indication that the driver of the truck is our man? No indication at all, Inspector, I'm afraid. Just that the driver was breaking one law in parking without lights. Maybe he'd break another, that's all. And, of course, having nothing more to go on... Yes, yes, of course. There aren't many leads in this case. No. And the woman is of no use, whatever. Can't even remember whether it was a car or a truck. Is she Halliday's wife? No, he wasn't married. They were good friends, though. She's pretty broken up. You know, hit and run is a brutal thing, Inspector. Little though we have to go on, I'm determined... Excuse me. Look, that may be Constable Jacket, sir, reporting about his interview with the trucking company. I told him I'd be in your office. Perhaps you'd better take it, then. All right, thanks. Inspector Templeton's office, Sergeant Maynard speaking. Hello, Sergeant. It's Jacket. Yeah? Shall I come up there with my report? Or... Yeah, do that, but tell me briefly what you found out. Well, Barrington say they have two trucks operating in this district, both on the road last night. Yes? I've called in on one of the two drivers, a fellow named Barrett. He seems to be in the clear. He has proof that he was on Highway 1 last night. His rear vision mirror is intact and certainly doesn't look as though it had been newly replaced, so he's out. Oh, what about the other one? Well, here's where we get interesting. The driver's name is Harry Preston. He was presumably on Highway 2 last evening with a run scheduled for the town of Sinclair. Yeah? Well, we can't locate him, Sergeant. Can't find him or his truck this morning. He never did get the Sinkler and didn't report back to the company. Say, that's interesting. Yeah, I think so, too, Sergeant. Look, you better proceed back to headquarters and we'll plan the next step. Right, Sergeant. Inspector, it looks as though a casual lead may have started us in the right direction. 
If the indications are correct, we should have this case wound up in a day or so. In just a moment, we'll return for the second part of this true story of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, The Queen's Men. And now we return you to The Queen's Men. This looks like a house up ahead. 38, is it? Uh, yes, Sergeant. Pull into the driveway. Right. Depends on what his wife can tell us, of course. But a truck and driver can't disappear entirely from this kind of country. Want me to come in with you? Yeah. Keep track of what's said. Well, I hope the wife is home. We'll soon find her if she isn't. What did the officials at the Barrington office have to say about this man? Oh, Preston? Well, they said he was a reliable driver. Uh -huh. He's never failed to deliver before, nor has he vanished like this. Anything else? How about his personal character? Well, they didn't seem too enthusiastic about him, but he did his job satisfactorily. They couldn't quite believe he'd pull a hit and run. It's hard to believe that of anyone. Yeah, you're right, Sergeant. This is the sort of crime I don't like. In all probability, there's no criminal intent. Just a mistake. A bad mistake, and then panic. Yes? Oh, uh, good morning. Are you Mrs. Preston? Who are you? Sergeant Maynard of the RCMP, ma'am. This is Constable Jacket. How do you do? Yes, yes, I'm Mrs. Preston. What do you want? Well, we'd like to make some inquiries about your husband. Why? What's Harry done? Oh, we're not at all sure he's done anything, Mrs. Preston. We're just checking. Well, you better come in, I guess. Thank you. Come on in the living room. Oh, thanks. Is your uh, husband at home by any chance? No, no, he's not at home. Sit down. Thank you. Thanks. When did you last see him, Mrs. Preston? Uh, I... Look, it'll be better for everyone if you answer our questions, ma'am. You see, if he's guilty of anything, well, we'll find him in the long run. If he's innocent, then you'll do him no harm in being honest. I haven't seen him since after supper last night. He hasn't been home all night. I'm so worried. I, I just can't imagine... what. He's never stayed away all night before. I see. Except when he was on an all-night run, but he always told me when he was. He was supposed to be home by midnight last night. And can you tell us what occurred before he left last night? What was his state of mind? Not sure what you mean. Well, I, I mean, had you had a quarrel? No. Well, not exactly a quarrel. It, although I did tell him he shouldn't have another drink when he was on a drive. He was drinking. Well, well, yes, he was, officer. He was mad because another driver got a raise, and he asked for one and didn't get it. And you say he's never stayed away before without telling you? No, never. Now then, Mrs. Preston, have you any idea at all where he might be? Why, no, officer. If I knew, I'd get in touch with him. Well, how about his friends? Have you tried contacting any of them? Yes, I phoned everyone I know. No one's even heard from him. He, he just seems to have vanished. I see. Well, then, that'll be all for now, Mrs. Preston. We appreciate your cooperation, and if you hear anything further, I wish you'd get in touch with us. All right. Who oh, 
Your attention now, men. It's approximately here that the truck was reported seen parked without lights. Three miles south of here is the location of the accident. About two miles north was our roadblock. Now, he didn't pass the roadblock, so it would appear that he turned off the highway somewhere in this five-mile stretch. You get me? Yeah. All right, all right. Now, listen. Our job is to scour this area with a fine-tooth comb. Watch for tire tracks. Remember, of course, that every farmer in this area owns a truck. But you've all been given a pattern of the Barrington truck tire marks, so check them carefully. Okay, sir. All right, all right. Just a minute. Investigate every farmhouse in the area. If a strange truck was on anyone's premises, they should know. If he sought refuge with a friend around here, they may try to cover for him. So question everyone thoroughly, and remember this one thing. The longer the man is at large, the better chance he has of eluding us. So get to work, and work fast. Disperse, men. Okay. Jacket. Yes, Sergeant? Wheel your horse around and come with me. We're going to check the bush areas and gravel pits. Any of the places where a truck may be hidden. Hold, hold, hold still there, beauty. I know, I know. You're anxious to start the hunt. There we are. Let's go. We'll cut across this field, Jacket. Uh, I'm Constable Edwards of the RCMP. I'm investigating the accident that occurred on the highway last evening. Oh, that, uh, oh, that hit and run. Anything I can do, Constable? Are you acquainted with a man named Harry Preston? Preston? No. Is he the guy that did it? Well, that we don't know yet. Did you hear a truck on your property last evening? You think you hit him with a truck? Well, we don't know anything yet, just investigating. Uh, would you mind showing me over your property? <laughs> I don't know a thing about it. This is quite a long lane leading up to your house. A truck could enter and park without your hearing in it, couldn't it? Well, it could, I suppose. What are these tire marks here? Do you own a truck? Yep. Drove it up the lane just this morning. You see, you have two sons. Yep. They do most of the farming these days. Hmm, perhaps they're acquainted with Harry Preston. Not that I know of. I'd like to talk to them. Why, sure, officer. Uh, Marshal! Take a right up to the bush there and give it a careful going over. Yes? Well, I'm sorry to bother you, ma'am, but uh, is your husband working in the fields? Yes, yes, he's down in the east pasture. Well, would you direct me there, please? Mm. And on our way, I'd like you to think back and recall whether you heard a truck on your property last night. You looking for me, Robson? Yes, Sergeant. Oh, there, Elmo. Ah, I thought I'd find you around here. Did you locate something? I think so, Sergeant. Farmer over on the next concession names Cardney. I think he knows the truck driver, Harry Preston. Well, how come? Did he admit knowing him? No, said he didn't. But I thought he was lying, acted nervous and wanted to get away. I checked truck marks in his lane. They're smeared, but they seem to match the Barrington truck. I have a couple of men watching his place now. Good work. I'll come along and question him myself. While I'm doing so, you give his property a good going over. 
Jacket? No sign of the truck yet, eh, Sergeant? No. You'd wonder a man could hide a truck that size. Oh, Sergeant! Come on, Jacket! You better come over here, Sergeant. Tire marks. What? Leading into the bush here. Robson, go on back and watch that farmer. Keep a constant eye on him, but keep your men concealed. I'm going to investigate Jacket's tire marks. Yes, Sergeant. You'd better tell the truth, Cardney. We've located Harry Preston's truck, and it's only a matter of time before we find Preston himself. You'll be guilty of obstructing justice if you have any knowledge of the man and withhold it from the police. Look, I don't want to get into any trouble, but I don't want to get Harry in trouble either. Then you do know him. Oh, yes, yes, I, I know him. But I didn't know anything about the accident, honest. Not until I read it in the papers this morning. When did you last see Harry Preston? Last night. Last night he dropped in here uh, just for a visit, he said. Uh Uh-huh. Did he have his truck with him? He said he parked it behind the barn. I kind of thought that was a funny place for him to park his truck, and I said so. What did he say? Nothing. He, uh, He acted kind of funny and said he was tired. Said he only dropped in to have a little rest before going on to Sinclair. I see. Did he appear to have been drinking? Oh, no, he was cold sober. I noticed his uh, hand was kind of shaking, though, uh, now you mention it. Uh-huh. What time did he arrive here? Oh, I, I didn't notice exactly, but it was after ten, I know, because I went down to the chicken house at ten, and it was after that. The accident occurred at 9.20, Sergeant. Yeah. What time did he leave? About an hour later. Did he say where he was going? Uh, said he was going on to uh, Sinclair to deliver his load. Anything else? Uh, no, not that uh, I can remember. Well, please try to remember every word that was said, Mr. Cardney. Uh, well, he he didn't say anything else. Uh, I know he didn't because his wife's been phoning here and I've been trying to think. All right. Men, we got to start a systematic search of the woods and all barns and outbuildings. He's obviously on foot. He can't be far from here. We've got to get him before nightfall. Sergeant Maynard asked me if I'd come back and report our progress, Inspector, and ask for another search patrol to be sent out immediately. Mm, They're already being organized. I figured he'd want more men. Now the truck's been found, it's a case of a thorough ground search. Yes, sir. The men will be ready in 15 minutes. You can lead them back to Maynard. Meantime, I've just received the report of the investigation of the truck. Oh? What did they find, sir? Here are the photographs. You'll note the badly smashed rear vision mirror. Oh, it sure is. The whole thing seems badly bent as well. Yes. It really hit something with tremendous force. Now, the laboratory tests reveal particles of blood and hair. The test as to whether it's human hasn't come through yet. But from the height of the mirror, it's obvious a human was struck. Yes, I see what you mean. What were the circumstances? 
truck hidden and the driver apparently eluding us, it points pretty definitely to Preston. Well, now it's just a case of... Uh, excuse me. Yes? Oh, they are. Good. Your men are ready, Jacketh. Good luck. Yeah, the footprints match Preston's shoe, all right. Now then, the footprints indicate that he entered this section of bush right here. Constable Haley has conducted a search around the fringe of the bush, and there are no footprints to indicate he came out anywhere. Then he's in there, Sergeant. He's in there, all right. Corporal Stevens, you remain here with your group. We'll spread along this hundred-foot front. Edwards? Yes, Sergeant. Take your men around to the west. Right. Peterson, you cover the east, and Jacket the south. Yes, Sergeant. Now look, we'll form a large circle and gradually condense the circle as we move in. I doubt he'll be armed. The only weapons you'll need to carry are your knives and wire cutters. Now cut your way directly through, no matter what obstacle, so that we don't have to break in the circle. Okay. No talk. Move as quietly as you can. The closer we can move in, the easier he'll be to take. All right? Now start spreading out. This is the final round in this case. sign yet. And the bush is getting a bit thicker here. Only hope we can find our own way out. Wait a minute. I think I heard something. It it came from came from the right over there. All right. Quietly now. Just a minute. You. Eh? Uh, what do you want? What are you doing in this part of the woods? Well, just looking after my traps. Uh, who, who are you fellas? You're scaring away all the game. I'm Sergeant Robson of the RCMP. Can you identify yourself? Uh, sure. Everybody knows me around these parts. I'm uh, Husing, Bill Husing. Never heard of you? I know this area pretty well. Well, I got a letter from my daughter. Arrived only this morning. I'll be here. Hi. Right here in my pocket. Oh, let's have a look at it. Uh, dear Pop, not heard from me from some time. That's right. Michael's sick. Better than I... Oh, my love, Millie. I... Well, that satisfies me. By the way, have you seen any strangers around here? No, officer. Only you. <laughs> hey, look, Sergeant. Isn't that somebody in that clearing just ahead? I didn't see anybody. Wait a minute. Maybe you're right. I just saw something move. Yeah. Quietly now. You take the left, I'll take the right. We'll creep up on him. Right. Is there anyone there? I said, is there anyone there? Come out. Your name Harry Preston? What's it to do with you what my name is? I'm Constable Jacketh of the RCMP. I want a word with you. If you want me, you better come and get me. All right, Sergeant. Jump him. Take your heads off me. You get nothing on me. You take... Nice work, Sergeant. All right, Preston. You better come quietly. So they moved in, and of course they got him. And the only clues were a handful of broken mirror pieces and a salesman who kept his eyes open. Nothing much to go on. But that seems to be the pattern for the RCM police. It's no wonder the force holds the reputation it does the world over. Yep. I'd certainly hate to be on the other side to us. Well, we'd better get back on the job, Inspector. 
if we're to keep that reputation. Queen's Men, authentic stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Music under the direction of Sidney Torch. Script and adaptation under the supervision of John Adaskin. Produced and directed by Harry Allen Towers. From our Canadians Abroad file, we have an episode of Jack Benny. Now, I hesitate to play these because there is some dispute as to whether Sadie Marks, who played Mary Livingston, was born in Vancouver, B.C. or Vancouver, Washington. But anyway, she definitely had close ties to Canada. So let's uh, go ahead and... Do this one, it's from May 28th, 1939, and it's called Alexander Graham Bell. J-E-L-L-O! The Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny, with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens the program with You've Got Everything. <laughs> You remember this popular song called You've Got Everything? Well, you know, that song might well have been dedicated to Jell-O, for really there is one dessert that does have everything. Color, bright, sunshiny, and gay. Flavor, extra rich, cool, and refreshing, as tempting as the real ripe fruit. Ease and speed, for Jell-O dissolves instantly and sets quickly. Economy, Jell-O costs only a few cents a package, and one package serves the average family generously. And variety. For Jell-O offers you dozens and dozens of delicious new dishes. Serve it plain in a colorful mold of beauty. Garnish it with whipped cream or any seasonal fruits. Use it for salads, for Jell-O makes swell salads that even the men folks go for. Yes, sir, one box of Jell-O is filled with real kitchen magic, the kind that every busy woman appreciates. So ask your grocer tomorrow for Jell-O. Look for those big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O and Jell-O... Bell's a treat. That was You've Got Everything played by the orchestra. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you Hollywood's newest glamour boy... Jack Benny. Thank you. 
Thank you. Jalaw again, this is Jack Benny talking. And Don, I appreciate your calling me a glamour boy, but really that's not quite my classification. Oh, it isn't? No, Don. According to the latest publicity from Paramount, I'm the oomph man. <laughs> oomph. Yeah. The oomph man? Yeah, you see, Don, a glamour boy is merely good looking. But when a star has, in addition to that, a certain charm and appeal to women, then he becomes an oomph man, which is me. You better stay out of the hot sun, brother. <laughs> oh, you're here already. Listen, Phil, I'm not a fortune teller and I'm not psychic, but I see you soon scattering your brilliant remarks in greener pastures. And hello. <laughs> You know, Don, ever since we switched the ending of the picture, uh, Man About Town, and I married Dorothy L'Amour, Phil has been a wreck. So jealous because I'm a ladies' man. Me jealous? Why, every girl you go out with regards you as a big brother. Well, that's part of my technique. I sneak up on them. <laughs> so don't be so sour grapesy. Oh, uh, by the way, Jack, last week you had an argument with the studio about Rochester. Are you going to let him be in the picture? Rochester? Oh, he's in it already, Don, and am I having trouble with him at the house? The airs he's been putting on. Oh, getting ritzy, huh? Ritzy bought a sport coat yesterday with three belts in the back. <laughs> Not only that, it's getting so he won't wear anything but silk underwear. Well, it's all right for him to wear silk underwear, isn't it? Not when the monogram says J.B. <laughs> no, sir. Jack, I can't understand why you keep Rochester when he causes you so much trouble. Why don't you fire him? Oh, I can't. You see, he found the treasure map of my backyard and won't give it back. <laughs> but I'll get him in time. Hello, Jack. Oh, hello, Mary. Say, Mary, have you heard the latest? They changed the ending of the picture, and instead of Phil getting Dorothy L'Amour, I'm the one that marries her. Yes, I know. She's sick about it. <laughs> She's nothing of the kind. You're just making that up because Dorothy happens to be very fond of me. In fact, the other day, she gave me an autograph, sarong. How do you look in it? Gorgeous. Are you surprised? Oh, Mary, Jack's got a new it. He says that everybody at Paramount's calling him the oomph man. Yeah, but did Jack tell you how he got the title? Quiet. The director punched him in the stomach and he went oomph. That's not the reason at all. They call me the oomph man because in this picture, I'm virile and rugged. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Tell her what happened when you shot the wedding scene yesterday afternoon. Oh, well, that was just a novelty, that's all. Something different. What was it, Mary? Yeah, tell him. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> after Jack marries Dorothy, he's supposed to pick her up in his arms and carry her across the threshold. Mary. Well, Jack tried and tried, but he couldn't lift her. <laughs> and what happened? <laughs> she carried him across. <laughs> Mary, I told you it was just a novelty, something original. Well, say, Jack, did you feel kind of silly being carried in a girl's arms? Well, I didn't mind being in her arms, Don, but when she started to rock me, I thought that was going to... <laughs> anyway, let's drop the whole thing because we've got an important sketch to do tonight. Where's Kenny? Hey, Kenny? Kenny? What? It's time for your song. Well, wait till I get through. The drummer's teaching me how to play poker. Well, tell him to give you your shirt back and come over here. <laughs> Okay. Phil, I wish you'd tell your boys not to take advantage of Kenny. He's too young to gamble. Oh, yeah? I got over a thousand marbles hid under my mattress. <laughs> I don't care what you've got. I don't want you learning how to play cards. Hmm, I got a fine chance to grow up around here. Never mind. I don't want any more gambling. Now go ahead, young man, and sing your song. I will not. 
You will, too. I'll tell you what. I'll match you two songs or nothing. <laughs> Kenny, sing your song and not another word out of you. Hold it a minute. There's the phone. I'll bet five bucks it's for me. Quiet. Hello? Yes? Oh, he's right here, Mrs. Wilson. It's for you, Don. It's your wife. Oh, thanks. Hello, dear. Yes, I know we're having company for dinner. Oh, that's up to you, dear. Any flavor will do. Hmm. <laughs> well, strawberry or raspberry would be swell. Don, we've got a long plate. We haven't had cherry in a long time. What about orange, darling? Uh, Don, we've got a long plate. Oh, I know. Let's have lemon. Don't forget lime. You might as well get them all in. <laughs> well, look, sweetheart, it's all up to you if you want a real tempting and economical dessert. Give me that phone. Hello, Mrs. Wilson. Look for the big red letters on the box and hang up. We've got a play to do. Sing, Kenny. That was a frame-up if I ever heard one. When the somber shadows of the night grow dim And the daylight dawns on the hillock's brim in the black of the night by the light of the moon On the top of the day when the clock is at noon No matter what the hour, I'm a slave In the grip of your power Melancholy mood forever haunts me Steals upon me in the night Forever taunts me, oh, what a lonely soul am I, stranded high and dry by melancholy moon. Gone is every joy and inspiration, tears are all I have to show. No consolation, all I can see is grief and gloom, till the crack of doom, oh, melancholy moon. Deep in the night I search for a trace of a lingering kiss, a warm embrace, but love is a whimsy as flimsy as lace, and my arms embrace an empty space. Melancholy moon, why must you blind me, pity me and break the chains? The chains that bind me Won't you release and set me free Bring her back to me Oh, melancholy moon Deep in the night I search for a trace Of a lingering kiss A warm embrace But love is a whimsy As flimsy as lace And my arms embrace And em. Why must you blind me, pity me, and break the chains? The chains that bind me, won't you release and set me free? Bring her back to me, oh, melancholy
was Melancholy Mood, sung by Kenny Baker. And, Kenny, that was a swell song, a natural for you. I threw a seven, huh? Kenny. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great treat in store for you. Last week, the Benny Gypsies gave you their interpretation of Gunga Dean, which took place in faraway India. And tonight, to show you that we get around, uh, we take you to Boston, Massachusetts and present our version of Daryl F. Zanuck's outstanding 20th Century Fox production, that grand tribute to a great man and famous scientist, Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> hmm. Thank you. Can I go home now, Mr. Benny? I'm all in. <laughs> uh, not yet, JoJo. <laughs> Now, as you all know, uh, Don Amici portrayed the famous inventor in the picture. So in our version, I will naturally play the title role. May I ask why? Certainly. Now, this picture also featured... <laughs> I said, why should you be Alexander Graham Bell? Well, for one thing, Phil, the part fits me. I used to be an inventor myself. Wasn't I, Mary? Oh, Jack, you weren't the first one to think of putting a mouse trap in a wallet. <laughs> I don't mean that. Years ago, when I was in the Navy, I invented a chin rest for portholes. <laughs> they went over very big. Now, getting back to our play, Mary, you will be my wife, as portrayed on the screen by that sweet, gorgeous, beautiful, and talented young actress, lovely Loretta Young. Well, if you think she's so good, why didn't you get her? Don't think I didn't try. Quite good friends, you know, but she had a previous <laughs> engagement. Listen, Dreamer, you're not even acquainted with Loretta Young. I'm not, eh? It might interest you to know, Phil, that I've got Loretta's address right in my little book. What book? Guide to the Movie Stars Home. <laughs> I mean my little red book. Now, Kenny... Yes, Jack? Uh, Kenny, when the play opens, I'm a poor, struggling inventor, and you're a wealthy businessman who finances my experiments. Uh, do you think you can handle it? I'll lay you three to one, I can. Now, Kenny... <laughs> For the last time, I don't want to hear another word about gambling. You're too young. Anyway, you're going to be my backer. And as I was saying, Mary, you're going to be my patient, loyal wife. We've had a hard struggle. I'm trying to invent the telephone. And everybody thinks I'm a madman. They think I'm eccentric. They think I'm crazy. But you, my little wife, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> Mary, will you please get in the mood for Pete's sake? <laughs> hmm? Now, the, uh, the locale... Hey, Alexander, am I going to be in this? Yes, Phil, you're going to be my assistant who helps me invent the telephone. But, Jack, I'm a musician, not a mechanic. Listen, Phil, I'd rather have you tinker with my toaster than tamper with Tannhauser. <laughs> Any day. Now, our dramatic offering will go on immediately after a number by... Oh, come in. Hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, Rochester. What do you want? Say, boss, are you in a pleasant frame of mind this evening, or are you cloaked in gloom? <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling very good, Rochester. Why? Well, I got some news that may turn your damper down. What? What are you talking about? Boss, remember when you and I were driving down to the studio in your car tonight? Yes. And when the motor kept stalling, you got mad and said, you wish somebody would steal this thing? Yes. Well, hallelujah, you're a pedestrian. 
A pedestrian? That's from the Latin. I know where it's from. <laughs> you mean to say somebody stole my car? Well, all I know is I parked the car in front of the studio and went across the street to buy a cigar. Uh-huh. And when I got back, there was nothing there but the anchor. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Now, who... Who would want to steal my car? Somebody that goes... Now, don't be funny. My car's been stolen, and it's nothing to clown about. Tell me, Jack, did you have any insurance on it? Only tornado. <laughs> Ding the luck. Rochester, this is all your fault. I'm sorry, boss. Well, it's too late now to be sorry. Now, I want you to go right down to the police station and report the loss. Hurry up. I ain't going near that police station. Why not? I'm behind in my alimony. <laughs> alimony? Why, Rochester, I didn't know you'd been married. Oh, boss, repeatedly. <laughs> well, that's your business. Now get going. Okay, goodbye. So long. Oh, say, Rochester, I see you're playing a part in our picture. Yeah, that's right. How are you coming along? Mr. Harris, I'm in the groove on the beam and dark victory. So long. <laughs> He's the biggest ham I ever saw. Uh, the biggest, Jack? Yes, the biggest. And I'm going to get out that car back if I have to offer a reward. Play, Phil. Now, where would I go if I were a Maxwell? And warm on the chilliest night Just as snug as a bug in a rug Whenever I feel your kiss Talk about home, home's never like this First your arms come stealing And my heart goes on a roller coaster Then I get that feeling Like a little piece of toast in a toaster Gee, but my life would be cold Without your delicious hug Keeping me snug as a bug in a rug. Wow. That, uh, that was Snug as a Bug in a Rug, played by a mug in his lungs. <laughs> How was that, Phil? Thanks for the plug, slug. Hmm. Going from that neat bit of comedy to our dramatic <laughs> highlight of the season... We are now going to offer our contribution to the annals of scientific progress, that epic of American ingenuity, 
Alexander Graham Bell. Wait for me. <laughs> now, the locale of our play is Boston, Massachusetts, in the year 1870. The scene is the little attic laboratory where we find Professor Bell and his assistant, Mr. Harris, working feverishly on their great invention, the telephone. Mrs. Bell has just entered the room. Curtain. Music. I'll take it. Hello? Alexander Graham Bell's residence. What? No, you can't talk to him. He's busy inventing the telephone. Goodbye. <laughs> I'll say I am. Oh, Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris. Yes, Professor Bell. I think I've got something here. Hand me that duplex circuit repeater and the multiple induction coil. I'll attach them to the supervisory electromagnetic oscillator. You're kidding. <laughs> I am not. Now, give me a hand. Give me a hand with this quadruplex frictional deflector. Okay, here's the metallic cylindrical felicitator. <laughs> What's that? The screwdriver. <laughs> Oh, trying to chop me, eh? <laughs> Wait a minute. I'll use this little hammer. There, that's coming along all right. Say, Alex, I wish you'd hurry up and invent this telephone. A blonde gave me her number this morning, and I want to call her up. Has she got a friend? Oh, and she's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, what am I rushing for? I'm married. <laughs> I'm so absent-minded. But I'll tell you one thing, Harris. We've got to work fast if we expect any more help from our financial baker, Mr. Backer. I mean, our financial backer, Mr. Baker. Now, help me with this vacuum generator. Oh, darling, you look tired. You're working too hard, Alex. Much too hard. I am? Yeah, look at those bags under Harris's eyes. <laughs> oh, well, he got those on his own time. But, darling, I must work hard. I know it's a mad dream. I know it sounds impossible. But I'm going to invent the telephone, or my name ain't Alexander Graham Bell. Come on, Harris. Let's get to work. Come in. Well, what's this? This is the... This is the laboratory. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> Darn these interruptions. Harris. Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris, hand me that annunciator, Magneto. Here you are. Hello? Oh, hello, Barbara. Now, hand me that vibrator. Okay, Alex. Did you have a good time last night? Who was there? Oh, it still won't regenerate. They were? Hand me some more of that copper wire. Here you are, Professor. Well, look, Barbara, we'd love to come over, but Alex is still working on that invention of his. How's it coming, Professor? I'm afraid it won't work, Harris. I'm afraid it's a failure. Oh, it's some gadget he calls a telephone, but it'll never be a success. I got another idea, Harris. Hand me that real stack. All right, Barbara. I'll call you later. Goodbye. I don't know, Harris. The more I work on this, the tougher it seems to get. Sometimes I get so discouraged. Don't give up, Prof. I won't. Come in. Well, hello, Mr. Baker. Hello, Alex. How's everything coming along? I'm making great progress, Mr. Baker. Great progress. You see, it's my theory that if I could make a current of electricity vary in intensity, precisely as the air varies in density during the production of multiple sounds, I should be able to transmit speech electromagnetically. Oh, you can talk plainer than that. <laughs> <laughs> 
But unfortunately, Mr. Baker, my financial resources are depleted. And before I can continue with my experiment, I must have additional monetary aid. You mean more cash <laughs> That's a bullseye if I ever heard one. Well, how much do you want? Four million dollars. Yes! <laughs> oh, I know. I know that sounds like a lot. But you've already given me $32. What's four million dollars? <laughs> What do you say? Why don't you gamble with me? You said I was too young. <laughs> that was in the first routine. <laughs> oh, Mr. Baker, if I don't get the money from you, where else can I get it? You mean I'm the only sucker in the world? <laughs> yes. All right, then, Alex. I'll give it to you. Hooray! Did you hear that, darling? Did you hear that, Harris? He's going to give us $4 million. Here you are, Professor. One dollar, two dollars, three dollars, four dollars, five dollars, six dollars. Two years later. One million nine hundred ninety-three dollars. One million nine hundred ninety-four dollars. One million nine hundred ninety-five dollars. One million nine. Four years later. Three million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-eight dollars. Yes. Three million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars. Yes, yes. And forty cents. I don't think I can make it. <laughs> well, that's close enough. Thanks. Well, I gotta go now. Goodbye. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Baker. Where can I reach you in case I need you again? In the poorhouse. So long. <laughs> oh boy, four million dollars. I wonder how he could carry so much money in his pockets. He's got two pair of pants. Oh. Well, Harris, we've got the money. You know what that means? You know what all this money means to us? Yes, I can tie a can to my orchestra. Yes, thank heaven. <laughs> and it also means that I can finish my work, complete my invention. The telephone must and will be perfected. Let's go. <laughs> March 10th, 1876, in a public auditorium in Boston, Massachusetts, the first telephone, a crude instrument, stands on the desk before Professor Bell. For the first time in history, he is about to transmit the human voice. Quiet, gentlemen, please. Now, gentlemen, all I ask of you is to have patience. You are about to witness the most amazing demonstration of our time. Gentlemen, please. Three and nine, what are you stalling for? Yippee! Young man, I'm introducing a telephone, not a fan dancer. <laughs> now, gentlemen, in just a moment, I will transmit my voice by wire to Professor Homer J. Osgood, who is waiting on the other end of this line in Baltimore, 500 miles away. Oh, oh, Silence, please. All right, gentlemen, the experiment begins. Mr. Harris, lift the receiver. Yes, Professor. <laughs> hello. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Hello, Baltimore. Hello, Baltimore. This will work. This must work. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Did you put a nickel in? Quiet. Gentlemen, please. Please, give me a chance. Hello. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Boston Meat Market, your order, please. Get off the line. I want Baltimore. Don't worry, gentlemen, I'll get it. Hello. Hello, Baltimore. Hello. Hello. Jello. I said hello. And I said jello. Hang up. I want Baltimore. Don't get disgusted, gentlemen. This will work. This must work. Hello. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Baltimore, hello. Hello. 
Hello. Hello. Hello, stranger. Hello. At last, at last. Professor Osgood, can you hear me? What? I said, can you hear me? Am I coming over? Don't come over this week. We got relatives. I mean, am I coming over the wire? Can you hear my voice? What? My voice, my voice. Oh, my boy's fine. He's in college. No, 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 not your voice, my voice. Sound, sound. That's what I said. My son's in college. Look, Professor Osgood, this is Alexander Graham Bell talking. This is important. This is for the advancement of science. Now, if you can hear me, repeat this sentence. I hear you clearly. Have you got that? I hear you clearly. I love you dearly. Hooray! There you are, gentlemen. The telephone is a success. Ah, oh, what a triumph. What a dramatic situation. What a picture this would make. I'll buy it. Thank you, Mr. Zanuck. number of the 35th program in the new Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Now, come on with me, Mary. I'm going over to the police station to get a squad of men to go out and look for my car. J. Edgar Hoover's in town. Why don't you get him, too? He's just the man I need. Good night, folks. That's our time together for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.